light. Well, we are in John chapter 19. We are coming to the end of looking at Jesus in the book of John. We have two more chapters. JR is going to take next week, and I'm going to finish it up with John 21 the week after that. And how many of you have enjoyed our journey in the book of John? It's been wonderful, hasn't it? To see God and his character as, G- as we look at Jesus, to see that exact image, that perfect representation of who God is as we gaze upon Jesus. Well, after we are through with our series in the book of John, beginning in June, we are going to move to the book of Corinthians. We're actually going to do First and Second Corinthians. And we're going to talk about the church being established under the power and wisdom and love of God. And just Corinthians does a great job of laying out some very practical things of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And Paul had to write some strong language to the Corinthian church from time to time. They weren't the perfect church. They had problems just like us. And that's why I'm so encouraged by the book of Corinthians because it gives us for both books of Corinthians, because it gives us just a very practical approach to living in holiness and righteousness and living in unity and walking in love and preaching the true gospel, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel of the kingdom. So I'm excited about that. The first week of every month will be, Brian Funamore will still be with us. The second week we will have our teaching and break up into, I'm talking about Wednesday nights, of course, have our teaching and break up into groups. The third Wednesday of every month, we're going to dedicate to a night of worship and prayer. And so we're going to just leave our biblical study just for one night and pray our biblical study <laughs> as, as a group of believers, right? We want to learn about it, but we want to cry out for what's in this book. We want it to be a, a reality in our own lives. We don't want to settle for anything less than the Lord's best for us as laid out in the Word of God. And so we're going to cry out for this family here and different congregations in our region that the Lord would bring awakening and revival and transformation and boldness to the church. You can tell I'm excited about our third Wednesday nights. And then the fourth and fifth Wednesday nights of each month, we'll return to studying the book of Uh, Corinthians, when there is a fifth Wednesday, of course, we'll return to studying the book of Corinthians and to breaking up into our groups. If you have any questions about that, uh, you can see me or Mike or one of the leaders here and ask about that schedule going into the summer. All right, let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 19. Whoa, whoa, sorry. We want living water to come from within us, not from a water bottle. Just got my Bible all wet. It's all right. Holy water. (laughs) All right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. That as we gaze upon 
the sacrifice of the Son of God here in John chapter 19. We ask you for revelation. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and reveal to us Jesus in his greatness, in his mercy, in his love, in his compassion for us. It says, greater love has none other than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. Lord, as we look at you laying down your life for us, we pray for revelation. Pray for wisdom. And Lord, we pray that the finished work of the cross would have its way in our life. That the authority that was released on that day when you said it is finished would be released now. That we would walk in the finished work of the cross in every area of our life. And we would have revelation of this down payment, this purchase you purchased us with your own blood. You purchased us. And we thank you for that payment made in full by your blood. We love you, Lord. Amen and amen. Oh, good. Someone brought me a towel. I appreciate that. I might get a little sweaty. I might use that up here, too. <laughs> thank you, Mary. I'm just going to put it right. All right, guys. Well, we're going to start in verse... 28, and we're really only going to look at about three verses, and we're going to focus on this most precious phrase, it is finished, all right? So it says in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So what did Jesus and the Father accomplish on the cross? What was finished? What was purchased? This phrase just jumped out at me this week and last week as I was studying this passage. It is finished. I was just asking the Lord, what is finished? What is complete? What has been made whole? What has been accomplished? This word in the Greek is tetelestai, and it means a payment made in full, that there's nothing left to be done, that there's nothing left to accomplish. A payment made in full. Jesus wiped away any debt that we owed God, and he secured an eternal inheritance for us, and he secured an eternal inheritance for himself as a man to be king of kings and lord of lords forever. Now, this is the only gospel that records the phrase, it is finished. It's only found in John. There are actually seven phrases Jesus spoke from the cross. I'm sure some of you have, have heard teachings of the seven phrases that Jesus spoke on the cross. But I'm just going to read them because they're so powerful. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's the first thing he spoke on the cross as he was hanging there for us. Very first thing out of his mouth. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's found in Luke 23. 
Again in Luke 23, another statement comes for Jesus. He tells the thief, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, he's completely focused on forgiving those who are crucifying him and on bringing salvation to one of the thieves that are hanging beside him. I mean, who is this man, this God that we serve? Jesus said to his mother in John 19, he said, woman, this is your son. Then he said to the disciple, which was most likely John, and this is your mother. He looked after his mother on the cross. Again, he's the servant of servants on the cross. It says two times, one in Matthew 27 and one in Mark 15, it says in two, it's two accounts of the same phrase. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, I thirst. And then he says, it is finished. And then Luke reports, after he says it is finished, that in a loud voice he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Well, out of these seven phrases spoken by Jesus on the cross, three of them kept pushing me to one passage in the Old Testament. And that passage was Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a, it's a messianic psalm. Messiah is just the Hebrew word for Christ. It just means king. We can say Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the king. And a messianic psalm is a psalm that speaks of Jesus, either what he has already fulfilled or what he is going to fulfill in his return. It was David, sometimes speaking of himself, but its full fulfillment was found in Jesus. And there's some Psalms where David's not even referencing himself at all. He's referencing the coming Messiah. There's about 70 promises in the Psalms that in Jesus' life he fulfilled. I just think that's amazing. Because the other, that gives me faith for the promises that haven't been fulfilled in prophecy, that Jesus is going to do that too. If Jesus fulfilled prophecy in his first coming, then those things that haven't been fulfilled in prophecy, he will do in a real and literal way in his second coming. And we're going to get into some of that tonight. The three phrases that push us back to Psalm 22 that come from Jesus' mouth are the phrases of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The phrases of, I thirst, and the phrase, it is finished. And in my study of it is finished, I just could not get out of Psalm 22. So we're going to kind of use Psalm 22 as our backdrop to look at this phrase, it is finished, and what it means. Now, it means a lot of things. Isaiah 53 tells us what it means in a pretty profound way. Lots of, te- lots of passages in the New Testament tell us what it means in a pretty profound way. So when I'm talking about it is finished from Psalm 22, I'm not saying this is all that it means, but I just think it's interesting that these phrases are coming from Jesus' lips, and it's the last things he's saying before he gives up his spirit as our perfect sacrifice. I think Jesus is pointing us to this passage to go understand something about my nature and my character. And so, I've just been loving it. Let's go to our first slide. I just want you to see some of the correlation. Now, Psalm 22 is mentioned a lot 
in the, the crucifixion scenes in the Bible. Um, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was spoken by Jesus in Matthew 27 and Mark 15. It says in Psalm 22, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. This was referenced by Jesus when he cries out, I thirst. And then it says, posterity shall serve him. That word just means future generations shall serve him. And it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Or it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done or he has finished it. And this is referenced by Jesus when he says it is finished. Also, Psalm 22 is referenced by the writers of the Gospels to let us know that prophecy concerning the Messiah is being fulfilled. Thus, this reemphasizes the psalm as a prophetic picture of Jesus. Let's go to John 19, 23 and 24. It says this, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it and see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill scripture, which says, and the scripture comes out of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen: they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So we have Jesus speaking out on the cross. We have the writers of the gospels. That's also found in Luke. That's also found in Mark. That's also found in Matthew. This dividing of the garments and using Psalm 22 to say this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Then we have the writer of Hebrews, and he points to Jesus by using Psalm 22 in establishing that we are now part of the family of God. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For it is fitting that he, that's the Father, for it is fitting that he, the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that's the church, many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, he has set us apart, he has washed us, he has cleaned us. For he who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source, or all come from one Father. That's the Father, the source. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them that's us, brothers. And then the writer of Hebrews chapter 2 uses Psalm 22 to explain this. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. We'll get back to that as we, as we go deeper into this passage. Then, the crowd that is observing the crucifixion as Jesus is hanging on the cross fulfills prophecy out of Psalm 22. Let's go to Matthew 27. It says in verse 39, those who passed him, or those who passed by, derided him, and they were wagging their heads at him, and saying, you who destroy the temple 
You who said you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Now they had no idea that the temple he was talking about was his body. And then in three days it was going to be rebuilt again. But as they're wagging their heads at him, or shaking, that we don't really say wagging, we say shaking our heads. Funny, quick story. I had a dog. And my sister, when it came home, the tail was just wagging and wagging and wagging. So I grew up with a dog named Waggles. <laughs> I, would say, I didn't know it was a weird name, but I would say, oh, this is our dog Waggles, you know, as I was little. And every friend that would come over was like, Waggles? Waggles? Because they wag. Well, anyway, this isn't a, a dog wagging a tail. This are <laughs> men wagging or shaking their heads and mocking Jesus. It says in Psalm 22, verse 7, all who see me mock me. They make their mouths at me and they wag their heads. They shake their heads at me. So not only do the crowds fulfill prophecy in Psalm 22, but the chief priests, scribes, and elders of Israel use this passage to mock Jesus. Because they believed this was a messianic passage. They believed that the Messiah of Psalm 22 in the first half was going to suffer but around verse 21, there's a shift, and it says, God answers him. And then the Messiah walks in an inheritance at the end of Psalm 22. We're going to look at that. Well, they're looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, oh, if you were the Messiah, God would answer you. But God's not answering you. And they use the phrase from Psalm 22. Let's go to Matthew 27, verse 41 and 43. So also the chief priest with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. And here's the phrase from Psalm 22. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Psalm 22 verse 8 says, He trusts in the Lord, speaking of the Messiah. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him, for the Lord delights in him. And so they're using this Messianic psalm to taunt Jesus on the cross. And it says in Matthew 27, right after that, that's when Jesus speaks the first verse of, Isaiah, of Psalm 22. And that's when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Basically, to say, scribes, Pharisees, you're right. Psalm 22 is coming to fulfillment before your eyes. So, Jesus identifies with Psalm 22. And I think it's as if Jesus is saying, you don't think, scribes and Pharisees, you don't think, elders, that I'm the Messiah of Psalm 22, but I am. And God is going to answer me. And in in three days in the resurrection. And he fulfilled the suffering servant of Psalm 22, and he fulfilled the resurrection three days later. And then, at the very end of his suffering, he cries out, it is finished. And we find this very phrase at the very end of Psalm 22. So Jesus uses the first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he uses the last phrase as he gives up his spirit, it is finished. Let's go to the next slide. It says in John 19.30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
And it says, Psalm 22, beginning in verse 30. Again, we've read this, but a posterity shall serve him, or future generations shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet born, that he has done this. So in John 19, Jesus is saying, it is finished. And it says, there will be coming generations that use it in a past tense and say, he has finished this. He has done this. He has completed this. And so, my question that I've been asking the Lord is, so what has Jesus done? What has been finished? And we're just going to look at a snapshot of this in Psalm 22. I'm trying to see how many times I can say Psalm 22 in this sermon, just so you guys know. I have Jim counting with a counter back there. So, just playing with you. Just realized I've said it a lot. So we're just going to look at a snapshot as to what this psalm, uh, I didn't say it, what this psalm speaks of what has been finished. What are generations that at the cross, they weren't born yet, but then they were born and they heard of Jesus and they begin to say, he has done this. He has completed this. Guys, did you know we're going to talk and give testimony of what Jesus has done for eternity? That we are going to forever look at that slain lamb with the mark still on his body and we're going to look around at a resurrected earth. We're going to look around at new heavens and new earth. We're going to look around and our testimony is going to be he's done it. How did we get here? How are we forgiven? How are we going from glory to glory? How have we inherited a kingdom? And we're going to say he did it. It's nothing that we did. He did it. It was finished at the cross. It was paid in full. The price for our redemption, our reconciliation, our inheritance. And we're going to worship him forever and say, he's done it. Oh, it's going to be a good day. It's a good day now to say, he's done it. It's a good day now to look at our bodies and say, it is finished. Just like we did when we were praying for arthritis. It's a good day now to look at walking in the power of God in your own life and say, he has paid for this in full. And it's a good thing to look into the future and to look at the coming of Christ and to look at the future resurrection and say, it's been paid in full already. It's guaranteed. That's what the writers of the New Testament say. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to testify to both it is finished now and it is paid in full for the future. And now I'm totally away from my notes. So let's go back. What does Psalm 22 say was finished? Well, first, this is precious. It's what the writer of Hebrews says. He calls us brothers. He calls us family. We find this, of course, in verse 22 of Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Jesus calls us brothers. The Messiah, who is Jesus, the Psalm 22 says, not only are they my brothers, I will proclaim to them your name. Remember John 17 that we studied a little bit? Jesus says, I've proclaimed to them your name and I will continue to proclaim it. Jesus isn't done telling us about the Father. Through his Holy Spirit, 
He wants the continued proclamation of the knowledge and character of his Father through us. It says, so that the love that the Father has for Jesus may be in us. The Father wants us to love Jesus the way he loves Jesus. That's a wonderful measurement of love, right? Do you think we'll ever reach that? No, it's an eternal reach, and that's a good thing. There's always more. (laughs) There's always more love we can experience for Jesus. And he calls us his brother. It says this in Romans chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. That's the brother. If children, then heirs. Heirs of God or brothers of Jesus, fellow heirs of Christ, fellow brothers of Jesus. And then he just gives us this quick thing, provided that we suffer with him. Meaning, provided we stay faithful to him now. Provided that we continue in our pursuit of him in a dark and perverse generation as lights to that generation as Philippians says, holding fast, holding on to the word of life. But if we do that, if we continue in perseverance, guess what? We're going to be glorified with him. Oh, it's beautiful. The second thing we see. Now, there's about 11 things in Psalm 22 of understanding it is finished. I won't, we're only going to go through six. The second thing we see, or that we're going to focus on is that God ushers Jesus into his presence. That's the resurrection and the ascension. And he hears his prayers. I believe that's Jesus operating as the great high priest who is interceding for us. Says this in verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Now the one that's afflicted in Psalm 22 is the Messiah. And it says the father hasn't despised or abhorred the affliction of this one And he hasn't hidden his face from him. Now, that term, hidden his face, the face of a person in the ancient day represented their presence. If I was standing before your face, I was standing in the nearness of your presence. And it says, he's not hiding his face from the afflicted one. Jesus has been ushered in to the presence of the Father in the resurrection and the ascension. And guess what? He has heard him when he cried to him. Jesus is crying out to the Father, and the Father hears him. And the New Testament says, this crying out has not stopped. He's praying for you. Jesus is crying out for you. Jesus is also crying out for the inheritance that is rightfully his. Father, give me the nations of the earth. Give them to me. Why? Because Jesus is greedy? No, because he's the only one who knows how it should function and who has the power to bring it into right alignment with his Father. When heaven says, the wisdom be to you, that's exactly what they mean. All the intelligence of all the peoples, of all the nations, be to you so you can use it to produce love in the earth's heart forever. When it says all the power belongs to you, that's what they're saying. All the military might, all the power, all the strength of all the people Let it belong to you because you will produce love for your Father forever in the earth and in the hearts of the people of the earth. They're crying out for the leadership of Jesus 
And he is our great high priest who is crying out for the same thing. Verse thir- or the third thing I see in Psalm 22 is he will provide for the poor of the earth as king. It says, the poor shall eat and be satisfied. Now, there are so many passages in the Old Testament and in the New that talk when Jesus returns, he will satisfy every hunger. Remember, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more hunger. It says the hot sun won't beat down on anybody anymore because he provides his covering. It's that exodus covering of his presence over the people of the earth. Guys, we're headed for a good day. But we're also headed for a day when the poor of the earth shall eat and be satisfied. Did you know that right now in our modern day, 80% of the earth, 80% of the population of the earth, it's a lot of people, live on 20% of the earth's resources. While a select 20% of the earth's population, that's not too many people compared to 80%, consume 80% of the earth's resources. And the poor of the earth aren't eating and aren't satisfied. Guess what? Jesus says, I'm going to turn that whole thing around. I have wisdom. I have power to make deserts become rainforests. It says that a lot in the book of Isaiah. Deserts becoming fertile forests and, and, and I think of a rainforest coming from a desert. He has power to bring the earth back into alignment to the Father's will and he will use the resources righteously. Hallelujah. The fourth thing I see in Psalm 22 is he gives us eternal life. It says in verse 26, those who seek him will praise the Lord and then it declares, let your heart live forever. Now we know John 3.16 is one of our favorites. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I see this. Let your heart live forever, those who seek the Lord, those who are praising the Lord. The fifth thing I see in Psalm 22 of something being paid in full, something being finished, though we don't see the reality of this right now, this is the reality that is going to be established by the Father forever. And this is the reality we can walk in as co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom now. It's this. Jesus will be king of all the earth and all the peoples of the earth will worship him. Someone say hallelujah. That's good news. It says in verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember. They'll think of him. They'll go Oh, Jesus and his sacrifice. And they'll turn to him, which means they'll repent. And all the families of all the nations of the earth shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over all the nations. I mean, there's so many verses that speak to this in the Bible. The nations are going to remember. The nations are going to turn. When he returns, when he comes, and even before that, but in a global manifest way, it says every person on the earth is going to worship him. What's that day going to be like when we worship him with resurrected bodies? What what is that day going to be like when we bow our knee and we lift our hands and we confess his name? Now, that's a whole teaching 
in and of itself. But guys, that day has been paid in full. It's been accomplished already. We're just waiting for the manifestation of it. Don't lose hope. Know that the Lord is returning to accomplish this. The kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations, and we get to walk in the power and the authority of that now. Don't lose hope. Walk in your inheritance as a child of God. Walk in your inheritance as a brother with Jesus now. And lay hold of that eternal inheritance by faith and by renewing your mind through the word of God. Amen? And first and the sixth thing is that this, he will have an inheritance in us. Paul prays this. He says that we would experience, that we would know the hope. The hope of what? The hope of his inheritance in us. The joy of his inheritance in us. In Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus has an inheritance and it is you and me and the kingdom he's bringing for us to serve him in forever. Jesus has an inheritance for us now. And Jesus has an inheritance for us then. It says this. Posterity shall serve him. That just means future generations shall serve him. Speak this over your children. I've been speaking this over my children this week. Future generations shall serve you. Future generations from my household will serve you. Let them serve you. And it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation and they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is speaking of a people set apart, set aside to serve him and glorify him forever as a testify of the Lord to all generations. This is the testimony the Lord gives us now. This is what we will testify of from generations to come. Look what he has done. Guys, I just want to encourage us. Let's meditate in every passage that declares it with clarity on what he has accomplished and let's let that be our reality. Let's let the unseen, the reality that is purchased for us, be our reality now. Let's let the power, when we're not experiencing it, let's ask for it because we know it's been purchased and let's ask for it and walk in it now. And let's set our eyes and our hope on a kingdom and a king that is coming. And let's let that renew us with joy and with peace in the trials and the suffering now. Because if we suffer with him now, if we continue with him now, guess what we get to experience? Glory then. Glory then. And of course, we pray for that glory to be poured out now upon us as well. Well, let's stand before we go gather in our groups at our tables and talk about it is finished and what the Lord has done. Maybe you want to give a testimony to someone else. Let's stand and I just want to pray over you and we can be dismissed. I want to encourage you if you walk away from this, look at, there's so much stuff in Psalm 22 that it, some writers, some commentaries call it the fifth gospel. <laughs> they call Psalm 22 the fifth gospel and Isaiah 53 the sixth gospel. 
Because so much of the whole story is found in one chapter. But Lord, we come before you right now as your people. And we thank you that you have paid in full for our redemption. We thank you that you have paid in full for our healing. We thank you that you have paid in full and that we are now brothers with you, Jesus. We thank you that you have paid in full as the sacrificial Passover lamb. And we get to say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? I thank you that that will be our testimony forever. That though we experience death once, we will rise and we'll say, where is the sting of death? It's nowhere to be found. Thank you that that has been paid in full. Thank you. And we just declare, hearts live forever. Bodies live forever under the power of your resurrection. We thank you that our forgiveness was paid in full. Lord, we ask that we would be a people who forgive the way that you forgave on the cross, that we would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We ask you that we would walk in the fullness of our inheritance now, and we would hope for the fullness of our inheritance as it's to be revealed when you return. We thank you that all the families of the earth will worship you. All the nations of the earth will serve you. We thank you that the kingship is the Lord's and he rules over them all. Oh Lord, we say, have your way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Have your way. The kingship is the Lord's and he rules over them all. Have your way at the rock. Have your way in our families. Have your way in the front range. We just declare the kingship is the Lord's and he rules over it all. And Lord, we ask you to bring many into this family. Bring many into this perfect, accomplished, paid in full reality that it is finished. Bring many to know this. We thank you and we bless your name. Amen and amen. Awesome.